This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as we find that in Exodus 20, verse 16, the ninth commandment, which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we could see what we as a church confesses about this commandment in the Heidelberg Catechism uh, that's found in the book of Praise. And it's in Lord's Day 43, which is found on page 557. Here the church confesses what is required in the ninth commandment. I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone, rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, most of us associate freedom with not being answerable to anyone for our choices and decisions. When we are judged by other people, it can feel like an infringement on our own freedom. People who are limited in what they do by the opinions of others feel trapped by these real or imagined expectations of others. They feel forced to behave in ways that are not consistent with the desires in their own hearts. When we feel like we need to explain ourselves or to justify our choices to other people, we may feel some resentment and want to quote Jesus' words saying, judge not. It's like saying, Leave me alone. Don't interfere in my life. I don't need your so-called help. I am free to do what I want. Even Jesus is saying to you not to judge me. Ironically, when we conclude that others are judging and condemning us, we are by that very fact condemning and judging them. We put motives in the hearts of others and words in their mouths, often without even knowing the truth. We're in danger of speaking or thinking falsehood about others. This is precisely what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. Sadly, the desire to live with impunity without anybody telling us what to do has caused many to take Jesus' words right out of context. We apply the words to others, but we fail to hear that he is speaking to us. And as usual, Jesus' instruction moves us away from that selfish focus to an other-directed focus. Instead of thinking about ourselves, we need to focus on the well-being of our neighbors. Rather than worrying what we look like, We have to think about what other people look like in our minds and how we present other people to our neighbors. Through the ninth commandment, as our Lord explains it in the Sermon on the Mount, 
The Holy Spirit gives citizens of the kingdom of heaven the key to transformation, the key to new life together as members of the body of Christ. There is a judge in heaven who knows the truth from the lie. He sees, he hears how we speak, how we express ourselves. And he, re- he reveals to us that we were created to be faithful to our neighbor, even with our words. When God tells us not to bear false witness against our neighbor, he reveals that service in the kingdom of God is all about being faithful to our neighbor. Guided by the Spirit, then we learn to desire humble service instead of competition, care instead of contempt, and love for the truth instead of selfish love for our own reputation. And I preach you this gospel under the theme, citizens of God's kingdom use their words to defend their neighbor's honor. We'll see that the Holy Spirit leads us to see the log in our own eye, to see the devil in the lie, and to see the judge on high. The Lord Jesus teaches us that the way to obeying the ninth commandment begins with understanding who we are. The picture he gives to make his point is actually quite funny and has become so well known that we wouldn't be surprised to hear someone who is unfamiliar with Scripture referring to it. We can just imagine a person standing there with a, with a large piece of wood rammed in his eye socket so that she can't see anything. And then now coming and walking up to you and offering to take a speck out of your, own, out of your eye. Although the citizens of the kingdom of heaven whom Jesus is addressing, they're led by the Holy Spirit to want to help others by removing the speck from their eye or leading the blind. We need to realize from Jesus' illustration how often we are blinded by our own lack of self-awareness. Self-righteous criticism of others that often arises from anger or envy are like logs or, or planks in our eyes that make us unable to judge because of our own problems. Just like you might if you walked into an eye doctor and you saw an eye doctor with a big log sticking out of her, his or her eye, you'd say, well, that person's unable to help me with my vision. There are changes we see in Jesus' teaching that changes that need to happen in our own hearts and minds before we become capable of seeing clearly enough to help others with our judgment. Before we ever utter a word of condemnation, we need to look in a mirror and remember who we are in all humility. It reminds us of how Jesus once said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He was addressing the scribes and the Pharisees who had condemned a woman for adultery. You can read about that in John 8. Jesus makes it clear that when you look at someone and you already have contempt in your heart when you look at them, or if you look at someone and you're already belittling them as someone based because they're different than you are, 
Or if you condemn someone rashly, that means without, without even thinking about their situation. Or if you condemn someone unheard, that means you haven't even heard their story. And you condemn them basically because you don't like them. Jesus is saying the problem is not with the other person. The problem is with you. Pride and sinfulness hinder the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They cause us to have a wrong picture of others, causing us to be false witnesses that cause harm rather than good. When your heart is filled with contempt, it causes you to see things the wrong way or not see them at all. And until you repent, you are in no condition to help another person with your judgment. You are unable to speak the truth about others until you know the truth about yourselves. Until we repent, we are like the pot that calls the kettle black, completely unaware that it has been equally blackened by the same flames underneath them both. We first need to find peace and forgiveness with God in Jesus Christ. The the first relationship, the first question is a vertical one. Our relationship to God. How do we stand in God's sight? We first need to understand that before we will be able to look after our responsibility towards our neighbors. When Jesus says, judge not, He's not contradicting the scriptures that call for judgments in different situations, but he's warning against condemning people from selfish motives. So focused on our task of serving our neighbor by, by bringing them to faith, by bringing them to forgiveness in God, our Lord teaches us that we need to believe in Jesus Christ We need to experience the grace of God in our lives before we become capable of helping others. If we are trying to earn salvation for ourselves by doing all the right things, by by following a checklist, if we don't understand grace and and live in that way with, with standards and things that we have to do all the time, well, we will wrongly apply the same measure, the same merit system to others. It's how we will see them and assess them. If we don't understand grace and forgiveness, our blindness to God's truth will result in more harm than good for the people we're trying to help with our condemnation and judgment. When blind people offer to give guidance to other blind people, they put the lives of the others in danger. Jesus says in Luke 6, they both fall into the pit. Once we know who we are, and once we are working to get rid of that log in our own eye by confessing our sins before the Lord and receiving His grace to us in Jesus Christ, then we can see where we stand. Then we can live in the truth of God's work in this world. Then we can see the devil and the lies that cause so much destruction, both in our own hearts and lives and in the lives of others. We confess that all lying and deceit 
is the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. It's a very strong statement about lying, about deceit. In John 8, our Lord Jesus calls the devil the father of all lies. And the ninth commandment helps us to understand that this includes that, that list that we read together and that we confess together. In Lord's Day 43, that includes false testimony, twisting another person's words, where they say one thing and, and you, you take it to, to, in another way so that they look worse than they, they intended. Gossip is speaking about others without, in a negative way. Slander is speaking lies about other people, rashly condemning or join in condemning others unheard. Being a part of any of these diabolical actions means cooperating in the devil's destructive work in rebellion against God. Those strong words give us reason for pause. And we can see right away how often we are getting played by the devil who knows all about our our struggle with pride and selfishness. The devil wants us to become unfaithful to our brother or sister. He wants us to attack their honor and reputation. And he is more than willing to keep up with modern technology to ensure that this continues to happen. And although the conversation we will, we should have with one another about gossip and slander in our own lives and in our own families, as as that conversation continues in our homes, I'm sure we'll talk about how we do this in many different places and on many different levels. This afternoon, let's focus specifically on our public public appearance or public presence on the internet. The increasing availability and the far-reaching capabilities of the internet in the last 30 years have given us more opportunities than ever before to sin against the ninth commandment. The more we learn about the impact of internet accessibility and the impact it has on our own hearts and minds, the more we can see the frightening capability of the tools available to the devil today to promote lies and deceit, to destroy relationships between fellow human beings. The governments and companies in charge of all news and social media, we see they can shape the narrative that they want to be told by censoring information. And as a result, the information and reports we receive have become so distorted and and words so often twisted that we get the feeling, and probably rightfully so, that we we never know the whole picture. And although we live in the so-called information age, the innumerable, distinct, and often opposing narratives or worldviews or explanations, whatever word you want to use, all these worldviews that are being formed by personalized understandings of the truth they're continuing to divide families and nations, entire cultures. We speak of culture wars as a result of this so-called information age. And every person lives in their own echo chamber shaped by some mathematical algorithms. 
as believers, we need to see the devil in the lie. We need to be very careful about the information we use to shape our worldview and perspective. The information we are using to judge others, whether we accept them as friends or condemn them as enemies. The sobering fact is that as these opportunities grow, so do the opportunities that each one of us has to be allies with the devil in his lie. It's that serious, brothers and sisters. Access to the internet begins at a very young age, often long before we have sufficient education and appropriate wisdom to see the log in our own eyes. And since the internet and social media are full of people who, who shield their bullying and their gossiping and their harmful allegations against individuals in a passive-aggressive way by making or sharing statements that they know will be read by their intended victims, even posts that are intended to serve the general public, they may turn out to be harmful sins of gossip or slander or rash condemnation. We might think that we're just thinking out loud or participating in an online discussion, but our message may be condemning people we don't know and attacking the honor and the reputation of people whose motives have never been revealed to us. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we, we need to realize, to think about what we are doing. We should not be so naive as to think the devil can't use our very words, maybe even with good intentions, to promote a lie. Words are rarely neutral. And the ninth commandment explained by our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount warns us to be wise when we speak in public forums and wise when we hear the words of others. When it comes to opinions or predictions or warnings or so-called instruction on how to live, we do well to be alert and on guard to spot lies when we read anything that has not been written by the Holy Spirit. May we be guided by the Holy Spirit in our learning, in our growth, in our love. And parents, young adults, children, how seriously do you take this threat against the truth of God? As friends and families, do our conversations about internet use show that we are able to see the devil himself working to cause destruction and harm and hatred for God through the lie? Do we speak? Do we understand the urgency? Ultimately, citizens of the kingdom of heaven desire to do everything they can, we confess, to promote and defend our neighbor's honor and reputation. And so our use of social media and internet availabilities can necessarily be only very limited, not only in the sense of when we are sufficiently mature to use this means, or not only in the sense of how much we use it, but also in the sense of what kind of material we are disseminating into the world. The internet, we know, is a marvelous tool for spreading the gospel, 
for making God's word known to a growing number of people. Social media can be used by mature Christians as an excellent tool to give glory to God for his transforming work in our hearts and lives that make us look completely different than the world. It can be used for rejoicing in the advance of the kingdom of God. It can be used for providing information that we need to serve one another as members of Christ's body, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep as we live in harmony with one another. That's Romans 12 verses 15 to 16, a beautiful standard of evaluation when you decide how to use the internet. The internet is a gift when it's used with discretion. And our Lord Jesus touches a little bit on discretion at the end, that somewhat mysterious verse 6. It tells us to think about what we are using the gifts God has given us for, and when we also need to think of the, the consequences of how our message is received. And we pray that just like we wouldn't give holy things to dogs or pearls to pigs, the Spirit will help us understand with whom we are communicating so that we adjust our message to our hearers to work hard to ensure that God's name is glorified by our words, when they are received, they bring glory to God. Our Lord Jesus shows us how important this is when he reminds us that everything we say is also being judged by God on high. You can see that in verse 1. Jesus puts all that we say and do into the context of God's judging. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see the, the background of the great judge on high behind everything he's saying. Our Lord Jesus is very clearly not saying that there is no justice in the kingdom of heaven. It's clear that he's not saying that it's wrong to punish wrongdoers, that we shouldn't protect the vulnerable. The Lord does execute justice on earth for the good of his church, and all society with judges and in the civil courts and in the church with evidence, with witnesses. The ninth commandment, which speaks about bearing false witness, assumes a legal situation in a court setting where official judgments are pronounced here on the earth. When Jesus says, judge not, he does not mean care not. These are not words for to forbid your neighbor to be concerned about you, nor are they words to defend your neighbor's freedom, but our, our Lord is aiming his words at us, and he is teaching us what kind of attitude we must have when we judge, and how every judgment we make needs to reflect God's truth, God's will. Jesus teaches us about how we should judge because he is concerned about our future. In his judgment, in his justice, we read God will use the measure we used against others to measure us. We will be held accountable for how we treat others. 
When Jesus says, judge not, in this context, it serves then as a warning about judging in a way that is different than how God judges. In Matthew 7, verse 1 to and 2, our Lord warns us against judging when it's not our task to judge, or judging without knowing the truth. Or as Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 16, judging in such a way that we're actually biting and devouring one another so that we are consumed. Jesus tells citizens of the kingdom of heaven not to judge hastily with contempt, revenge, and hatred in our hearts so that we go way beyond the, the known facts and condemn people based on purely what we imagine their motives must be. Well, everything we say is subject to the judgment of the judge on high. In Luke 6, verse 36, the, the transition verse that comes into the same teaching in that chapter, the Lord, the Holy Spirit tells us very clearly, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. God wants us to see our neighbors as He sees them. And as we turn to the Scriptures, then we see that our judge on high is the creator of heaven and earth. And he made us to live in a relationship of peace with him and with one another. And so he sent his son to remove the barrier that we had caused by our sinfulness and to satisfy the just demands of his holiness. You see, with the Lord, there's always mercy in justice. Although we are led by nature... Although we are by nature enemies of God, although we deserve the same condemnation as, as, as all sinners, if God were to be fair, our judge on high sent his own son into the world to take on our human nature so that the son might represent all believers before the father, both as a substitute and, and who was punished in our place and as our head who obeyed all God's commandments, God found a way to bring us into His grace. And so our Lord Jesus explained that He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It was already under God's curse. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. You see how we can be Christ-like when we talk about others, when we think about what they're like. The good news for us is that when God looks down upon His church, He doesn't treat us according to what we have done, but according to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so without diminishing the, the holiness or the justice of God in any way, the Holy Spirit leads God's children, leads us to, to recognize Christ's work and to show that same love the Holy Spirit leads us to hate sin in ourselves as much as God hates sin. To fight against the lies of the devil just as God fights against them. To seek to promote the honor and reputation of our neighbor as much as God who sent His Son to die for sinners. The truth always serves your neighbor. Even if the truth is that a person is living in sin, it needs to go through a process of repentance that may take some time, require extra grace. The Holy Spirit still use our, 
uh, leads us to use our words to defend, to promote our neighbor's honor and reputation, to love our neighbors. Well, since vengeance is the Lord's, and he will judge and he will punish all those who persist in the rebellion against him. That's the Lord's job. The Lord said, that's what I will do. Well, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we can leave the final judgment and the condemnation with the Lord. Our Lord's teaching takes us off God's throne of judgment where we, where we like to put ourselves so, so quickly so that we might be led by the Spirit to focus on remaining in Christ's love, desiring to save every sinner, starting with ourselves, but also those around us, from the wrath of God. Just think about it. If your neighbor's reputation is already ruined in God, the mighty judge's eyes, you don't have to try and make it look worse by your words. It won't make you look any better in God's sight. And your unloving hostility will even make it harder for your unbelieving neighbor to repent from their sins. The church will not be accepted in grace because it can criticize and condemn the world. Why not rather use your words to show love to the sinner as a person, as a neighbor? Why not show Christ's love by praying for the repentance of the sinner, offering support through the hope of the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, being careful to treat others with dignity. And if your neighbor is a Christian, therefore holy in God's sight through Jesus Christ, God's declaration justified, your neighbor is holy in God's sight. Well, you are contradicting God's judgment when you waste energy trying to point out how they are greater sinners than you are. God doesn't just forgive your log in your eye. Christ's blood was just as sufficient to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. And so we live together Rejoicing the judgment of God for our sins against His Son. And we rejoice in the new life and the fellowship and the trust we can have among one another. The gospel of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ is as precious as expensive pearls or the sacred food reserved for the priests. It changes how we see ourselves it changes how we see our neighbor. In the same way that no one would throw sacred food to dogs or, or pearls to be trampled by the pigs rather than keep, themselves, uh, keep these things for themselves, the Holy Spirit is working the gospel in our hearts so that we might truly believe in, in the breadth and, uh, of Christ's work and, and the depth of God's love so that we might live in this truth. Give our lives to serving others, caring, instead of contempt. What a blessing it is, brothers and sisters, to have that log taken out of our eye in Jesus Christ so that we can see, we can see our neighbor. 
We can see the devil's lie. We can faithfully reflect the judge on high in our relationships to our neighbors. May God help us to show concern for our neighbor's well-being with the use of our words. Amen. This final statement of the message we heard is, can be sung together as we ask the Lord to guide us in fearing Him and to keeping our tongue from wrong and granting that our lips don't speak falsehood. And you'll notice that how we speak is directly connected to true peace and concord. Concord is agreeing together, uh, doing things together. Psalm 34, stanza 5. We'll sing that together standing if you're able to stand.